your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. So this month, we have seen Thailand adopt another constitution. Uh, this is a country that's gone through 19 coups and now a 20th constitution in a little over eight decades. Uh, just to give us an idea of the instability there. But one of the worries here is that this gives the military even more power uh, and also set to kind of trend if we look elsewhere, Myanmar, Indonesia, the Philippines, in Southeast Asia, broadly speaking. So Phil Robertson is the Deputy Director of Human Rights Watch's Asia Division and joins us on the line. Good morning from Seoul. Good morning in Bangkok. Um, so looking at the background a bit further, the presence of the military junta in Southeast Asia, how does that tie in with these coups and uh, military influence in a variety of countries? Well, as South Korea knows, actually, which had a long history of military dictators that only ended in the late 1980s. Indeed. Holding power, holding the power, using the, using the power of a military has been a very effective way of keeping power in this region. You know, as you mentioned, Thailand has had all these military coups over the years. Burma had military dictatorships for over 50 years. If we look at uh, Laos and Vietnam and Cambodia, these are all governments where the ruling party controls the situation, part because they have politicized and controlled the military and security forces. So hard to rule in Indonesia for more than 30 years of military backing. So there's a rich history of military control in, in just about all of these countries. And it's something that is not going away anytime soon. Thailand, though, is, is a country that many of us associate perhaps with a little bit more progression than uh, other examples. I mean, Myanmar's just gone through a, a tremendous upheaval, of course, politically. But under this new constitution, Thailand will be able to um, have its military select every one of the 250 members of Senate instead of just under half of them. That, that in itself is a concern, isn't it? It certainly is. Uh, that is like a poison dart. Uh, at the heart of democracy in Thailand. Because what is going to happen under this new constitution is the way it works we will essentially make it very difficult for any one party to get a majority in the lower house. And so these 250 appointed military senators become the kingmakers. Uh, they become the ones who are going to be in a position to really make sure that democracy stays within the box that the Thai military have drawn for it. Yes. And, you know, it's a return to guided democracy similar to what we saw during the Suharto period in Indonesia. You've got the uh, red shirts who in the past have held power in Thailand or held a lot of sway anyway among uh, rural communities. Um, and then you've got the so-called yellow shirts who um, would be on the side of the military here and uh, just generally speaking better to do individuals, uh, nationalists, monarchists, as they've been described in the media. Uh, is there a danger that this is going to escalate back into a conflict between those again? We've seen in very recent years Bangkok filled with violence. I think that that is precisely what the military is uh, aiming at preventing, that you know they have decided that in order to prevent any sort of uh, renewed conflict between uh, color-coded factions within society, Thai society that they need to take over. Uh, 
the problem is in the past, what we've seen is uh, the military takes over for a period of time and then re- restores democracy and, and, you know, basically returns to the barracks. In this case, we're seeing a military that is planning to stay in power for quite some time and is talking about a 20-year roadmap uh, where they're going to sketch out how uh, high democracy will proceed. Um, the problem is also, though, that when you talk about Thai democracy, you can't talk about Thai democracy without also talking about human rights. Mm. Uh, this is the thing that you can't really get away from. We're seeing you know, a significant erosion of human rights, severe... Uh, restrictions on the right to freedom of association, uh, peaceful assembly, uh, the right to, to organize groups, you know, the right to even meet with a group of more than four people publicly uh, is restricted by the, the military. And, you know, these core elements of human rights and people's participation in the way they are ruled, this is the sort of thing that, you know, that the governments around the region don't want to have people talking about. Many governments try to separate human rights from democracy, but actually if you look at Article 25 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which has been ratified by Thailand and many other countries, you know, it provides that uh, every citizen shall have the right to, and the opportunity to take part in the conduct of public affairs directly or through freely chosen representatives, and that everybody will have the right to vote and be elected at genuine periodic elections, which shall be by universal uh, and equal suffrage, and mm. shall be held by secret ballot. You know, so, you know, there is a, a core human rights element to democracy. It's, democracy is not this abstract element. It is people's participation in the way they are ruled. And this is what uh, the Thai military and many of these militaries around the region uh, have sought to deny. And you, you talked before about South Korea. Obviously, this is an example now of a country that's moved very much out of those military dictatorships. Um, is there anything about an example like this one that these Southeast Asian nations can actually follow? Well, one hopes so. Uh, I mean, I, we still see human rights violations in South Korea. I mean, there's certainly the, the national security law uh, that is a problem, uh, and there are other uh, issues of rights violations. But broadly speaking, mm. North, uh, excuse me, South Korea has moved forward in a very significant way. Um, you know, I think that if we look at also Japan, Japan has a long history of of democracy after 1945. And so, you know, I think that uh, Northeast Asia has moved forward on democracy in a very significant way. Uh, You know, even Taiwan, which, you know, technically is not considered to be a nation, has become a paragon of of popular participation in democracy. So there's something to be learned in Southeast Asia looking at uh, countries like South Korea. But I unfortunately don't think that... um, those the countries in this the Southeast Asia region are really looking in, and unfortunately, I don't see that uh, governments like South Korea or Japan are really working very hard to try to promote democracy and human rights overseas in other countries where they're, for instance, doing business. Yes, I mean, obviously a huge economic incentive there not to uh, ruffle too many feathers, but also it's a very delicate uh, security situation in this part of the world with. Uh, U.S. and and Chinese influences uh, and interests not exactly on the same page. Well, I think you're right. I mean, the, the sort of tensions we're seeing regarding the South China Sea are not going to help in terms of uh, promoting human rights and democracy because it creates a, a dynamic of a new Cold War. Uh, but this time, between between the 
China and the U.S., which everybody's looking at, but also something that's been going on for quite some time between uh, China and Japan. Um, and, you know, this is the, the game is played out in trying to secure allies against another big country, and that, that means overlooking human rights abuses, well, then so be it. So if we look at Malaysia and the U.S., uh, it's been very difficult to get the United States government to push hard on uh, human rights issues in Malaysia, in part because Malaysia is a key ally of the U.S., in dealing with South China Sea and also dealing with uh, uh, global uh, terror issues. Uh, we had a very difficult time uh, when President Obama was just in Vietnam. Uh, you know, he lifted the arms embargo and basically got nothing for it on the human rights side. Uh, but again, that's being driven by the new uh, sort of real politique dynamic in the South China Sea. Mm. Uh, we look at actually China and Cambodia. Uh, China has basically turned uh, Cambodia into a, a proxy state where, you know, Cambodia now feels more impervious to be able to abuse human rights because they have such strong backing from China. So again, you know, th these dynamics are not helping. Uh, you know, where we expected in the past U.S. or, uh, you know, South Korea or Japan might be able to do something on human rights or push for uh, better respect for human rights, we're seeing less of that now. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Robertson, for spelling all that out for us, giving us a very clear picture of the region. You're certainly welcome. Thanks for calling. Phil Robertson from Human Rights Watch, uh, and also raising concerns still about rights in South Korea, albeit uh, not as urgent, perhaps, as the situation in Thailand and some other Southeast Asian nations, but still, uh, we want to be an influential country on the world stage. That's something President Park Geun-hye spoke about earlier in the show. It's something I'm going to reflect on in a few moments when we look at uh, this morning past. But uh, maybe it is time again to re-examine that national security law. We've said it before and I guess we'll keep saying it until it is revised. You can get in touch with us. Email efmthismorning at gmail.com. You can text us pound sharp 1013 for 51 per message.